Welcome to Slice of Life. Because a bite was not enough, you've listened to Brenda's Bites for years, and now Brenda is expanding her show to include lifestyle happenings from around the region. Now here's your host, Brenda Alacy. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of Slice of Life on your Saturday morning. We appreciate you tuning in each and every week here on Slice of Life. And if you'd ever like to hear any of our previous shows, they're always available on podcast at ESPN1520.com. You never know who we might be talking to on Slice of Life. This week, uh, would you believe it's almost time for the Taste of Buffalo? Where does the summer go? It's coming up on July 13th and 14th, and we've got a preview of the Taste with three gentlemen who know their way around a kitchen. We'll be talking to the guys from the chocolate bar in just a moment. Later in the show, we'll shift gears and talk to somebody near and dear to me, Karen Gutierrez, and she is a nurse and breast uh, cancer educator and also a geneticist. And Karen is with General Physician PC, and we'll get into some issues related to breast health and one's risk for the disease. But first up, uh, on a much lighter note, we're going to talk to Lou DeFlavio, the general manager, Mark Raska, the head chef, and Bill Panzica, the owner of the Chocolate Bar. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome. Morning. Good morning. morning. Nice to have you on board. And the Taste of Buffalo, as I said, um, Bill, is coming up on July 13th and 14th. There's a two-day feeding frenzy in downtown Buffalo uh, going from 11 to 9 and on Saturday and 11 to 7 on Sunday. And we expect 56 restaurants this year. Food trucks, local wines, of course, and craft breweries. Um, it's a fun event. It's something that I look forward to every year. And Bill is the owner of the Chocolate Bar. Why do you decide to participate? Um, so we're sort of in the in the epicenter of the whole um, uh, Taste of Buffalo. And in years past, we've always had something going on uh, this time of the year. So we opened in Kuwait. We opened a few restaurants. And we opened in Cleveland. We op- it just seems like the timing has been bad for us. Um, and this year, we got together and thought, this is the this is the year that we really want to take take advantage of this. It's it's literally outside our front door. Yeah, and you, what is your actual street address? Uh, it's one fourteen Chippewa. We're also located inside the Hampton Hotel, which is the the host hotel for yes. the Taste of Buffalo. So, um, we've sort of been involved um, with the taste in just. Uh, in an ancillary way, but um, now we're we're really excited about being part of it. Well, I've got my stretch pants ready because I'm a judge again this year. And so we come into the Hampton and uh, get our credentials and walk up and down and really feed our faces for a couple hours. Uh, so, Lou, as the general manager, do you find that this brings people into the restaurant where you get some awareness of the chocolate bar through the taste? We're hoping it will. It should. Um, we're going to run some specials a day at a taste to try to two days at a taste to try to bring people in. Nice. Nice idea uh, to do that. And, Mark, uh, it's got to be a busy time for you as the head chef. What are you featuring for the Taste of Buffalo this year? Uh, this year we're going to be doing uh, a chocolate soup with uh, strawberries on it and then also a white chocolate pasta with candied <laughs> bacon on it and uh, the very good salad and also for dessert the chocolate mousse brulee. Wow, that chip salad really has been oh, very, yeah, very good to me. I'm going to try <laughs> yeah. some of that. Strawberries, blueberries, feta cheese on it, pecans. Wow. Well, I've got to ask you, you're talking about a chocolate pasta? Yep. How yep. did you come up with that idea? <laughs> well, it was it was Bill's, <laughs> Bill's <laughs> wife idea. <but> <laughs> and you implemented it, right? Yep. You made it happen? So do you use white chocolate? Yeah, it, it was looks white like chocolate, it. yep, with, uh, with cream. 
Wow. Not exactly a light dish, right? Um, uh, I noticed it, it's really delicious looking, too. And, folks, if you want to see what it looks like, it's on my Facebook page at Brenda Alacy. Uh, Bill, how did you dream up that idea? Do you try to come up with different concoctions for the chocolate? So, so what we did, we opened in 2006 in Buffalo, and we tried every category. We wanted to make um, an entree or an appetizer and uh, incorporate some, some form of chocolate. And the white chocolate pasta has been on our menu since 2006. Um, we spiced it up a little bit um, for the taste with some candied bacon, um, and I think people will like it. It's not it's not overly sweet. It's almost like a fettuccine uh, Alfredo with just a little white chocolate in it, and it's uh, I, it's it's wonderful. It's a it great really idea, is. Lou. Are people surprised when they see these rather unique chocolate dishes on your menu? Every day, every time they come in, they're just surprised. I know. And of course, Go Bill ahead. and his wife did a great job making all the recipes. Now, I'm figuring if you're the GM of a restaurant, you've been around the restaurant world for a while, right? So what's it like working at a place like the chocolate bar that's so unique? Um, just the different recipes, the martinis, you know, because we're a martini bar, too. Um, all the chocolate martinis. Pretty much it's... <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah. of desserts. A lot of desserts. So really, Ice cream sundaes, crepes. <laughs> yeah, it's really dessert-focused, right, Mark? Yep. Yeah. Is chocolate still... Like the go-to for most people, would you say, Bill? Oh, it, it absolutely is, <laughs> it, 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 and especially for women. Um, it just seems, <laughs> it, it just seems like it's the one, uh, the one thing that uh, everybody can turn to, um, and it's satisfying. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where even if you're upset about something or if you're celebrating something, chocolate works in both cases. Yeah. So you're going to get it no matter what. And the martinis, I think, you know, the martinis have come a long way in our world. Um, but I remember your place, Bill, is one of the first, I think, that really kind of put it on the map. I, th I think that it was, and, and I come from a, a dessert background, and, mm -hmm. and I'm not really a drinker, and I designed all the drinks, and what I did was I incorporated <laughs> um, ingredients that weren't typically used in a bar, and they're, they're, they're expensive. And I mixed them together and made things that um, didn't taste like they had alcohol in it. So, and that's, that's I think, the genesis of of our martini menu was was with that in mind you know that makes perfect sense you have to be careful in a sense too because they go down so easily you do because there's two to three ounces of alcohol in a martini but yet they don't taste like they exactly have yes yeah the chocolate bar is the uh, focus of this week's uh, taste of buffalo restaurant highly highly recommend it the taste as i said is coming up before you know it on the 13th and 14th of july and I think it really is fair to say it's Western New York's favorite food weekend. And as always, admission to the taste is free. Uh, menu items from the restaurants and food trucks will remain between one and five tickets, meaning it's either a dollar or five dollars. And uh, they're going to be selling the uh, tickets and sheets of five dollars to three different ticket tents located throughout the festival. And they even take credit cards. Um, Bill, what's your thought about the uh, uh, the independent health, uh, you know, healthy option? That, to me, would be quite a challenge when you're talking about food at the chocolate bar. Well, yes and no. So we have, we have a light bite portion of our menu, and everything's under 500 calories. So it was pretty oh. easy for us to incorporate something into the taste. And, and my favorite um, dish at, at the chocolate bar is, a, is the Berry Good Salad. And uh -huh. it's, it's fresh, it's light. And it's low in calories. So. Yeah, you and can't go what, wrong. That's what we're and offering. And at the restaurant, we serve it in a giant martini glass. Oh, really? Oh, so <laughs> is presentation cool. is big, the right? The presentation <laughs> is really cool. So, uh, Mark, would you pair that with a chocolatini, perhaps? Uh, yeah. Why not, right? <laughs> in the same size 
glass. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah right. it's got to yeah. be the same size glass. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Lou, when it comes to the taste, do you expect to be busy that day, or do you find that this kind of thing just kind of drives business? It drives business. Um, and it, it, the restaurant's a little bit slower, mm-hmm. but it's for future to come. You know, people to see us out there. So hopefully we can draw people in that way. You bring up a good point, too, because I remember during the um, uh, local restaurant week, I remember coming to your place, and there are so many places to choose from. So that's a question for you, too. How do you determine what dishes to make and how long you'll feature them when there's so much competition right well, now? Well, So I'll, I'll talk about restaurant weeks. We were one of the original restaurants yes. um, to participate, and it was – it was uh, a foolish group of, of a few restaurants, and <laughs> and we've been um, one of the busiest restaurants for Restaurant Week. And, and Open Table, we're the busiest reserved restaurant. And, and, you know, we sit back, and we have not changed our menu in 10, almost 11 years. Wow. Now. We've not changed our menu. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we offer a lot. And You sure s- do. There are certainly some incredible restaurants in in Restaurant Week, um, uh, white tablecloth restaurants, and the chocolate bar still continues to, to really, we, we can't take any more seats during Restaurant Week. Wow, so that's I'm fantastic. honored and, and feel really proud to be part of um, local restaurant. Right I, I bet you do. Lou, do you feel the same way? Do you echo those sentiments? Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, especially when you've got a well-established place and you're right in the chip, do they still call it the chip strip? Is it still Some do, yeah. Cool, yeah. they call it just the chip strip. But, you know, it brings to mind, not only do we have all of these restaurants that we're featuring for the taste this year, but there are, there's more competition in downtown Buffalo than ever. I mean, it seems like every time you go downtown, you're seeing a new place. Do you guys get that sense that, that you have to keep up in that way? Mm-hmm. How Definitely. so? Definitely. Yeah, you've got to try to keep up with them. Creative There's been so many stuff. changes, and yeah. I mean, the city has mm-hmm. re- redefined itself in the past five years. Indeed, and we're in between uh, $500 million worth of development where we are between the Westin and the Embassy Suites, and that all occurred in the last six years, and it's it's almost uh, too much for the for for the people here to to comprehend. It's right, just, you wrap your head around so much development. Yeah, and even the courthouse too. It's beautiful, and there's so much going on. So you have the mix of you know the the old Art Deco of City Hall, and then these new gleaming buildings. It's really phenomenal to see what's happening in Buffalo. Do you guys get excited about what's happening in Buffalo? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's all nice. Yeah, it's really great. And Bill, you've been around the block, as you said. It's got to be absolutely, you know, so heartening to know that there are good things happening. It, it's it's really interesting to see what's happened and how we sat on that piece of land at Canal Side for years <laughs> and and almost put a, a a fish store down there and and battled over over yes. that for years and years and and it's it's so good for the city that that didn't happen and they waited and they made the right decisions. They made the Canal right Side. choice. It's, it's uh, that's cool. Absolutely. To visit the uh, Taste of Buffalo uh, and download a free festival guide, just simply go to thetasteofbuffalo.com and you can review all of the taste restaurants, menu items, as we have here, uh, courtesy of the, uh, the generosity of these gentlemen who brought in food from the chocolate bar. Mark, Lou, Bill, what a pleasure to have you in studio today. Thank you so much for coming in. I wish you the best, and I'll see you down at the uh, Taste of Buffalo. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks. We'll Thank see you there. We'll be back right after this. 
Are you a fan of succulent hand-carved beef and turkey? Do you like having fish fries available every day? Then come experience fresh, scratch-made favorites at the historic Glen Park Tavern in the heart of Williamsville. The Glen Park Tavern's hand-carved beef and turkey are available in-house or for parties as well. Enjoy a delicious selection of hearty salads, sides, and soups seven days a week. Visit the Glen Park Tavern on Main near Cayuga in Williamsville. It's not just a meal, it's an experience. This is Jim, owner of Modern Decks and Railings. Simply said, if you're in the market for new vinyl railings, don't sign with anyone until you give me a call at 228-8003. Get the personal attention you deserve at a great price. Call Modern Decks and Railings at 228-8003. Get old-time quality and value from Modern Decks and Railings. Modern Decks and Railings, 228-8003. If you have news about the latest happenings around the Buffalo Niagara region, contact Brenda during the week at 843-0651. That's 843-0651. Thanks for tuning in to Slice of Life. Now back to your hostess with the mostess, Brenda Alacy. And welcome back to this edition of Slice of Life. Thanks very much to Kevin Carr for pushing all the right buttons behind the glass for us week in and week out. We really appreciate it. Well, it is a pleasure to uh, introduce Karen Gutierrez to the show. And it's the first time Karen's been on Slice of Life. Karen is a family nurse practitioner and an advanced genetics nurse. Well, that's quite a mouthful, Karen. Welcome. Thank you so much. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to have you here, Karen. And you work um, in, for General Physicians PC, and it's, it's a large medical practice around this area. But your focus is on breast care and breast health, correct? Correct. So tell us, uh, what do you do day in and day out? What's kind of the focus of your practice? Well, the focus of my practice is um, following uh, breast cancer patients who have already uh, finished their initial treatments, their surgeries, and we do follow up every six months to 12 months. But also a large component of my practice is doing uh, genetics consultations and uh, cancer genetics testing. So people that might have a family history of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, other cancers in their family. And I'm a patient of Karen's. Uh, I have a very strong family connection. I lost my mother and my sister, and my sister was only 48 to breast cancer, a very aggressive form of breast cancer. So the risk is there for me, and um, I worry about it a lot, but I try to keep that in control because I don't think stress is good for any condition. Absolutely. <laughs> and I come and see you every six months and you do a great job keeping track of what I'm doing and how I'm doing. So I go for an MRI and then six months later I go for a mammogram and ultrasound. And mm -hmm. Karen, what's the philosophy for folks who are high risk like me or other women and men for that matter who have had the disease and how you monitor them? Well, people who aren't affected with breast cancer but are at a high risk, we call that um, high-risk monitoring. Uh, if you carry more than a 20% lifetime risk, we put you into this category called high-risk monitoring. We do um, staggered imaging every six months, and we do a clinical breast exam every six months. Now, not everybody gets the same type of imaging. Uh, depends on your age, depends on your breast density, that kind of stuff. And we may start as young as 20 to 25 years old, depending on your family history. Um, and then we add in additional imaging. We try to save mammograms for later because mammograms, uh, usually the breast tissue is very, very dense as you're younger. Mm -hmm. And it's really of no 
uh, medical benefit, and yet you're still being exposed to radiation. So we may start with ultrasounds or MRIs. Age uh, 20 to 25 is a distant memory for me, but there are people even in my age group who have dense breasts, right? Absolutely. And unfortunately, um, some people think that as you get older, your breast density uh, goes down. For a lot of people it does, but not everybody. And so we have to take that into consideration. Uh, so anybody that has even general uh, normal risk for breast cancer, if you have heterogeneously dense or extremely dense breast tissue, we need to partner up that mammogram with an ultrasound to make that mammogram more effective. And the point is because the tissue is dense, it's harder for the mammogram to show what might be there, if anything. Exactly. It's kind of like trying to look through a dirty window. Oh, uh, you great can't analogy. See, you can't quite see everything very clearly. And so what does the ultrasound do then? It can it kind of clean that window, in other words? A little bit. We can, we can see nodules, cysts. Uh, we can see things that are fluid-filled, solid, uh, things that may have increased blood flow to the area. So the ultrasound gives us a lot of uh, additional information. Also, we can take a look at lymph nodes up in the axilla, and that's always very helpful. And that's um, in the armpit area, right? Correct. Okay. Karen, um, breast cancer certainly is uh, a cause that many people know about and have been touched by. And certainly when you have high-profile uh, walks, it's now called uh, the walk, the Susan G. Komen walk, mm -hmm. and you and I were both there mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's great awareness, I would say, but is there ever enough? What are some of the, the things that you'd want to get out to the general public about risks and what it means to have breast cancer and how one is treated? I think one of the most important things is uh, to maintain our, our imaging um, annually to make sure we're, we're aware of our breast health. Uh, aware of changes in our bodies and things that we notice. Um, also be more aware of your family history. We don't sit around the kitchen table like we used to years ago with aunts, uncles, and cousins and talk about what happened to Aunt Mary or Uncle Bob or anything like that. And so sometimes people aren't as aware of their family history as they need to be. And uh, hereditary um, breast cancer can be related to breast cancer, ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, um, melanoma and prostate cancer. And we don't think of prostate cancer as being a cancer that could be hereditary. Uh, so things are evolving and changing and we just need to be aware of our family histories. Uh, I've heard many women say, well, I don't have a family history, so I can't be affected. Well, guess what? Neither did we. And my sister Norma, who died at age 48 uh, after just after eight months from diagnosis, we were shocked. We had no idea and boom, out of the blue. And so, and then a few years later, my mother contracts the disease. So you can't really use that uh, as, some, uh, you know, it's a false statement in the sense that it's reassuring, right? Oh, absolutely. And even in my own family, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 46. And I asked my mom, mom, is there any family history of cancer? They're looking at doing genetics testing on me. And my mom looks at me and says, no. And I said, mom, you had colon cancer. She goes, oh, yeah. They didn't you don't, you don't make the connection. They don't yeah. make the connection. And actually, when I went back through my mom's family history, she had two aunts that had, had, col uh, had breast cancer, and her own grandfather died of stomach cancer. And I said, Mom, why didn't you tell me about these? She goes, oh, we then never talked about it. Well, it wasn't they, something you talked about. You're so right, Karen. That generation had that sort of mindset where you don't say the C word, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost like they were afraid to say it because it might happen. Yeah. And yet... Um, it just blows my mind that you can find these things out where there is, in fact, a connection. That's why I want to get into what you do and how important it is. We're talking to Karen Gutierrez. Karen is with General Physician PC. And Karen is a family nurse practitioner and an advanced genetics nurse. And as you mentioned, Karen, 
when people talk about their family history, it may not be the same type of cancer, but there is a link. So how does the genetics research help a patient? Well, in, uh, when I evaluate a patient to see if they meet criteria for genetics, I'm looking at uh, family history going back three generations. So um, your parents, uh, your children, your aunts, your uncles, your first cousins, grandmothers, grandfathers, and even great aunts and great uncles. Um, on occasion, they'll even take great grandparents into consideration, especially if I'm testing somebody who's very young. Um, However, uh, we want to make sure you meet certain criteria, certain risk factors, and in order to do the genetics testing. Um, that can give us a lot of information both on um, uh, gene mutations that we inherit, but also sporadic cancer risk. They are developing uh, tests called uh, polygenic risk scores, which kind of take into consideration sporadic breast cancer and can be very effective with um, calculating our risk. Uh, we also have uh, risk models that we can calculate things like your personal estrogen history, your personal breast history, your family history, and create a breast risk score called a Tyre-Cusick risk score. And anybody who is above 20% uh, should be getting more um, more in-depth screening and more frequent screening. And that monitoring that you were talking about, perhaps mm -hmm. every six months. Correct. And I can tell you, too, that I've had, I think, three genetic tests now, Karen, under your tutelage and guidance. And it's nothing. I mean, it's not invasive. You simply uh, spit into a tube and you mm -hmm. send it off for the results. Yeah. And the nice thing, too, is you are so patient and so <laughs> informative when it comes to explaining what these different things mean, what you're looking for, why it's important what your, you know, your father, who may be long deceased, he had a history or what his siblings did or didn't do when it comes to their health. You really get into that. And in my case, it's difficult to know all of that because my father came here as a 17-year-old immigrant from Italy. And like you were saying, you don't sit around the kitchen table and talk about it. Either you didn't know or they didn't talk about it. Yep. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't get the genetic test, right? Exactly. And one of the other things is uh, the genetic testing is covered by most insurances, almost 100%, almost, uh, I would say, 75% to 80% of my patients have less than $100 uh, out-of-pocket costs with this testing. People who are unaffected with um, breast cancer and seek uh, genetic testing that meet criteria, usually it's 100% covered um, it's, as a screening test. And even if it isn't, it's well worth it. You know, Absolutely. Maybe don't go out to dinner one night and have this done. It could save your life and mm -hmm. those... Uh, whom you love in your family. To reach Karen Gutierrez, a general physician, 422 mm -hmm. And your office is right in Williamsville. Yes. Karen, um, you talk about um, family history screening, genetic counseling, and testing for hereditary breasts and ovarian cancer. And something uh, also on the website talks about Lynch syndromes. What is that? Lynch syndrome is a form of hereditary colon cancer. So you can inherit... Um, familial polyposis or multiple colon polyps. You can inherit Lynch syndrome, which is um, putting you at elevated risk for colon cancer, uterine cancer, endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer. And so uh, you may need to be followed much more closely. Um, many of these genes that are associated with colon cancer as well as breast cancer may not raise your, raise, uh, your risk super high, but you just need to be followed more closely. And so uh, one other thing that I really strive to um, teach patient, patients is that these genes don't cause cancer. What these genes do is they don't allow your body to recognize abnormal cells and repair mm -hmm. them or get rid of them. Um, and so those abnormal cells 
sit around and fester and can create a cancer. Well, with 30 seconds left, let's say that you do indeed determine it, then what? Can you do anything preventatively? Oh, absolutely. By doing the high-risk screenings, we do a very good job with um, lowering your risk of finding a colon cancer that's advanced or a breast cancer that's advanced. Fascinating work done by Karen Gutierrez, a general physician, PC. She is a a family nurse practitioner and advanced genetics nurse and deals with this day in and day out. And a survivor. And I wish you continued good health, Karen. Thank you so much. It was great seeing you today. It's a pleasure to reach Karen 422-0010. Make the call. It's uh, it'll open up a whole world of possibilities for you. That'll put a wrap on this edition of Slice of Life. Until next time, thanks for carving out a show with me. Thanks for listening. Brenda will be back next Slice of Life on ESPN 1520.